With full dark he was confused in a swampy forest, floundering through sucking quagmires and half-running. He did not come upon the river, but upon the creek again, or another creek. He followed it down, in full flight now, the trees beginning to close him in, malign and baleful shapes that reared like enormous androids, provoked at the alien insubstantiability of this flesh colliding among them. Long and long after he should have reached the river, he was careering through the woods with his hands outstretched before him against whatever the dark might hold. Until he began to stumble, and a cold claw was raking upward through his chest. When he came upon the creek again, he splashed into it thigh and crotch before he knew it was there. He stopped, his breath roaring, trying to listen. Very far away, lightning quaked once again, soundlessly. The current moved dimly about him. He spat. His saliva bloomed palely on the water and wheeled and slid inexplicably upstream, back the way he had come. He turned and watched it in disbelief. He plunged his arm into the water. It seemed motionless. He spat again, and again the spittle flared and trembled and listed perverse. He surged from the water and began to run in the return direction and at a demented pace through the brush and swamp growth, falling, rising, going on again. When he crashed into the glade among the cottonwoods, he fell headlong and lay there with his cheek to the earth. And as he lay there, a far crack of lightning went bluely down the sky and bequeathed him in an embryonic bird's first fissured vision of the world, and transpiring instant and outrageous from dark to dark, a final view of the grotto, and the shapeless white plasm struggling upon the rich and incunabular moss like a lank swamp hare. He would have taken it for some boneless cognate of his heart's dread, had the child not cried. It howled execration upon the dim Camerine world of its nativity, wail on wail, while he lay there gibbering with palsied jaw hasps, his hands putting back the night like some witless paraclete beleaguered with all limbo's clamor. It was early morning when the tinker appeared upon the bridge, coming from the woods with a sprightly hop like a staged dwarf after the main company has departed. He peered both up and down the road. Satisfied, he left the bridge and took the path along the river going bow-backed among the rushes with his curious mage-like agility. The sun was well up, and the bracken along the shore steamed in the rising warmth. The tinker hummed a little air to himself as he went. When he came to the branch where it joined the river, he cast about for a crossing, coming finally to a narrows a short distance upstream. When he came back into the river path on the far side, the tracks he followed had ceased. Whoa, now, he said. Which way we a going here? He recrossed the creek and picked up the man's trace in a furrow of crushed ferns that led into the woods. Ah, he said. We a taken to the deep pineys. He lost the tracks more than once going up the branch, but he paid that no mind. 
He was watching for tracks coming from the other way, and he could find none. After he'd gone a mile or so, he ran out of any kind of track at all. He circled and returned, finding nothing. Finally, he crossed the branch and went down the far side, and very soon he came upon the tracks again. He followed them into a small clearing, and here they ceased. He looked about him. It appeared to be the same place in which the tracks coming up the near side had vanished, as if their maker had met in this forest some dark other self in chemistry with whom he had been fused, traceless from the earth. Then he heard the child cry. He turned, small grin among his wire whiskers. He found it at the far end of the clearing in a cup of moss, naked and crying no louder than a kitten.